Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. The aim of this series, of course, is to help us get a biblical worldview. Now, by this time, you should know what a worldview is, okay? If you don't, it's because you don't remember. You've been here, but you don't remember. Or maybe it's because you're brand new, uh, and that, that's totally okay. But maybe you're wondering, okay, what, it, what is a worldview? It's really two words smashed into one. Uh, raise your hand if you think you know what a worldview is. If I were to ask you, you'd give a pretty good definition. Let me see your hands. Okay, let me see your hands. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, some of you don't. That's okay, it's okay. No, no harm, no foul. So, if you're, so since you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, a worldview is the way that we see ourselves. It's the way that we see one another. It's the way we see God. It's the way we, we see the news and politics. Uh, it's the way that, well, you what? View the I mean, look around, just look around this place, by the way, for just a minute. Just look around, look around, look, look at your brothers and sisters. Uh, y'all notice there are some black people up in the house? Well, that was weak. Come on, there's some black people up in the house. There's some white people up in the house. I'm one, I'm very, very white. Uh, there are all kinds of people here, young people. Come on, young people. Like four of y'all. Young people, old people, wise people. Come on, young people, that's terrible. The old people are louder than you. But listen, I mean, what a diverse bunch, huh? And, and, and so our, our worldview, watch, it's, it's well, it's, it's what we see. It's the way we look at it and we see the world. But, but if you're taking notes, write this down. It's not just what you see, but it's, watch this, how you see it. It's how you see the news. It's how you see yourself. It involves how you see God and everything in your world. And so here's my, my, my big bomb I want to drop at the beginning. Um, this might cut a little bit, but, but check it out. Here, here's the way I say it. Uh, everyone has a worldview, but not everyone has a biblical worldview, Every one of you in this room, starting on this side, going all the way around, every single one of you have a, have a worldview based on the way you were raised, based on your education, based on your experience in life. Everyone here up there has a worldview, but not everyone has a what? A biblical worldview, that's right. And so the aim of the series is, uh, well, for you and me to get a, a sharper, clearer biblical worldview. And so the way that we do that is we're going to look at four scenes. We've already looked at two so far. Four scenes, scenes from the Bible that will help us see the world the way God sees the world. You want to do that? We're going to do that. Can I do that today? Can I help you with that? Say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. We're, we're going to do that. So, so everybody say on this side, everybody say creation. creation. Y'all are in trouble because y'all have to say fall. Say fall. fall. Y'all say redemption. redemption. Week three, y'all. I'm going to preach to y'all. Redemption. And then y'all say new creation. Okay, so let's do it again. These are the four scenes. Y'all say creation. 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 Fall. Redemption, y'all too, and then what? 
New creation. And so if you, if you know these four scenes from the Bible, well, you'll be able to understand just about everything in the Bible, some of the smaller pieces. So creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And so in the last two weeks, well, we've looked at two big themes. If you remember, just to recap for a few moments, if we rewind the tape, did Pastor Don talk about the VHS tape week one? Y'all remember VHS tapes? Raise your hand if you're old enough to remember VHS tapes. The, 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 um, the final blockbuster in Acadiana, to my knowledge, it shut down uh, when we arrived 10 years ago. Uh, yet, yet, raise your hand if you used to go to blockbuster and, and you walk up and down the aisle for 45 minutes looking for VHS tapes and then you'd take them home and then you'd watch the tape and then what's the little sticker on the tape? It says, be kind and... Now hold on just a second. How many of y'all, how many of y'all remember the portable CD player? How many of y'all still have one? Don't raise your hand. Let me help you. We'll take up an offering for you if you still have. But raise your hand if you remember the, the, the uh, portable CD player that you put in your car with the cassette tape. All right, if you're really, really wise, raise your hand if you remember and actually had in your possession an 8-track. Dear heavens. Let's stretch. Everybody, okay, keep your hands up. Everybody has your hands down. Pray for these people. That was a long time ago. But yo, let me go back to the CD player for just a second. This, is, this wasn't in my notes, but it's in my head. How many of y'all, y'all had the anti-skip CD player? Like you could put it in your car and like you could put the tape in and listen to your CD without any skipping. Now, I was, I was poor, so I got a pillow and I put between the seats of my car and that was the anti-skip for me in high school. Um, but, it, but going back to VHS tapes, uh, the little sticker on the side, it, it said, be kind and what? Say it one more time rewind. Well, that's what we've done in this series. In order to really get a biblical worldview, we have to rewind. We have to go all the way back to the beginning. And that's where Pastor Don led y'all. And and as you saw weeks ago, in the beginning, everything that God created was not just good, but it was what? Very, very good. And that's what I want you to see in this series, that God did not create the world uh, uh, sinful. He did not create the world to be bad. In the beginning, we're told that he created the world and it was good. And it was not just good, it was tov mayod in, in, in Hebrew. It means very good. It means exceedingly good. And so we saw that in, in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 helps us to see what was right in the world. But then last Sunday, in Genesis 3, well, we got a picture of and an understanding of how it all went wrong. How many of y'all remember Genesis 3 and what happened there? With Adam eating the fruit. And when he did, death entered the world through that sin. And since that time, death and decay and destruction have been the norm in this world. And so if you, if you want to know what's wrong with the world, well, you, you don't go to Genesis one, you get a reference point there. If you want to know what's wrong, you got to go to Genesis chapter 3. And so moving from that point, here's what I want you to see. And I'm going to preach this like a man from another planet this morning to help you see that we are all fallen by nature. We are not good by nature. Let me take you back a little bit. We are naughty by nature. Are y'all, 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 y'all tracking? Okay, we need help because we are in bondage to sin and we need to be liberated. And how many of y'all know a slave can't liberate himself? 
Someone has got to come in and liberate him, free him. And how many of y'all are thankful? I'm getting ahead of myself, but how many of y'all are thankful we have one who came from heaven to the earth to liberate us from the bondage of sin? And so, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is because we all need redemption, because a price had to be paid, I decided to title this message, The Price is Right. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, help me this morning as I preach. God, open hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. So let's, let's, let's fast forward. We started in Genesis. Let's fast forward to Romans. Y'all want to do that? Now, Pastor Don said I have till three. Is that right? Some of y'all are like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm out of here in 45 minutes. So let let, let me get to this. Uh, We started this sermon series in the book of Genesis. We're going to fast forward to the New Testament book of Romans. And uh, in this book, I'm going to show you this, um, well, picture that Paul paints of who we are, of the problems that we have, and the solution to those problems. Uh, I'm going to show you, uh, through Paul, God's plan to redeem us from the fall. And so with that said, Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And just to give you a little bit of background information about this letter, Paul wrote to the church at Rome uh, just under 30 years after Jesus died on the cross, so about 57 AD. And he writes to the church at Rome from Corinth, and he does so, well, because he's out to provide a systematic explanation of what is wrong in the world, and he's out to show how God is out to make things right again. So when you think of the book of Romans, think about that. Paul, he wrote from Corinth to the church at Rome, 57 AD, about well, just under 30 years after Jesus died, and he's out to show what's what? Wrong in the world and how God is going to make it? How he's going to make it right. Are y'all tracking? All right, so with that in mind, after offering a greeting to the church, saying what's up in his own way, Paul writes the following encouraging words to the church. Here's what he says, Romans 1 beginning in verse 8. He says this, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Hey, by the way, y'all did that for me today. When I was with y'all, y'all were worshiping. I was looking around. I was encouraged by your faith. And isn't that one of the bigger reasons why we come together? we get in this atmosphere, maybe, maybe you came in discouraged, but then you're around the saints who are encouraged, and what's on them then gets on you. It, isn't that kind of what worship is all about? Like when we direct our gaze to heaven, maybe you didn't come and look in that direction, but with the help of scripture and the help of worship songs and the help of one another, we stop looking down and we start looking up. It, it, isn't that what it's about? It, it is. That, 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 that just happened. So I was encouraged. So he says, I long to see you for these reasons. And he says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He goes on to say this uh, in verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Watch. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Oh, here it comes. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Watch this, verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, say in it, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by, you finish it, by faith. Now, stick with me. Let, let me build this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take off here in a minute, but let me build this. Let me give you a little bit more background information on what's going on here. I love Paul's passion here as he writes because he said he could not wait to preach the gospel to those who were in Rome. Why? Well, because Paul knew the power of the gospel. Listen, I couldn't wait to get here today. I could not wait to get here today to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because I personally know the power of the gospel to set a man free. What man? This man. And listen, if God can set me free, I promise you, you're easy. Or at least most of y'all. Are y'all with me? I couldn't wait to get here to preach the gospel because I know firsthand the power of it. And Paul's writing, he's saying, I can't wait to get there because I know the power of this gospel that I preach. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Gospel means good news. Come on, how many of y'all are just inundated with bad news on social media, the news? It doesn't matter what network you watch. Do you understand that those networks, they get paid by drawing you in, by keeping bad news in front of you, and they got to keep you in with that bad news? Do you understand that? Well, then, then we have a chance, you know, once a week or so to get some good news in you. Listen, I mean, culture, I'm not trying to be ugly, but it's like a, an open sewer, okay, of, 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 of worldliness, of sin coming into our soul if we allow it. And that's why it's so good and so important for you to come here to hear the word so that your mind can be renewed and not just hear it here, but read it throughout the week so that your mind can be renewed, so your life can be transformed. To say, it's like taking out the trash. How many of y'all know we got to take out the trash daily? Thank you. Thank you very much. You could see what I couldn't see. Your, your ways are higher. Actually, mine are because I'm up here, but you could see what I couldn't see. But are y'all with me? And, and, and so Paul, he said, I couldn't wait to do this. Gospel, gospel, if you're taking notes, it means good news, and it's good. Why? Because the gospel announces what God has done for the world. It announces what God has done for you, which you could not do for yourself. God has done for you. And that's really good. And so he's like, I can't wait. I can't wait. He's like me. He's like, ah. He's full of energy and passion because he knows firsthand the power of what he's saying. And Paul writes that he's not ashamed of the gospel because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now listen, this is a big phrase, righteousness of God. But let me break it down. What does it mean? Watch this. The righteousness of God, and this is so good, it is God's commitment and his faithfulness to do whatever is necessary to make things right in the world again, even if it means the death of his son. 
Now, there are a lot of things I'm willing to do to make things right in the world, but one of them is not giving up my firstborn son. How many of y'all are with me? That's a sacrifice. That's a big commitment. Do do y'all understand the lengths that God went to to set you free? Do you? Because if you do, then it's an easy thing to lift up holy hands and say, God, thank you. What I couldn't do for myself, you did for me by sending your son to die in my place. And how many of y'all know the supernatural response is worship? I I told Pastor Don earlier on the front row when y'all were going wild in here and praising and doing all that you do. I remember back when I got, when I got born again in August of 2000, I'd never been in a church like this type of church. Uh, The one I went to then was just like this. And I I was like, I didn't know what to do with my hands. Now, some of y'all, just by nature, y'all know what to do with your hands. You get to dance and you do your stuff, you know. But, you know, for most of us, it's when you first come into church like this, you love God, but you don't know what to do with your hands. Raise your hand if you don't know what to do with your hands. It's okay. It starts out like this. You know, the old comedian said, you know, worship starts here. It's like the fish was this big, right? And then it gets up here. You're carrying the, the flat screen. Y'all with me? But then when you really get the revelation of what God's done, come on, y'all, we wash those windows for Jesus. Come on, isn't that what we do? And so it's gradual. It moves up over time. So if you're, if you're down here, the fish is this big, it's okay. Uh, that was not in my notes, but it was in my head, so you need to know that. But the righteousness of God is God's commitment. Everybody say commitment. And his faithfulness to make things right in the world once again. And we're told here that it's revealed from faith for faith. That means from the beginning to the end, the righteous, that's you. The faithful, that's you. Those who have faith believe that God not only says he will do it, but he has the power and the character to do exactly what he says he will do. How many of y'all know God never stutters? God never says, I didn't think about that. God never overcommits when God promises. Come on, y'all. He delivers. He delivers. And I've got to get out of my introduction. Watch this. Paul mentions the good news here. He mentions it. But he doesn't go into a lot of detail in chapter 1. He introduces us to the good news. But then watch this. This is nuts. He spends almost three chapters talking about the bad news. It's like, okay, really, Paul? Like, can't you be more encouraging? I think the reason he, he did that is because, how many of y'all know, you can't truly appreciate the good news until you understand the bad news. And I think there are a lot of preachers out today talking about the good news. I just hinted at it. But part of the good news, well, it's presupposed that there is bad news. There's a bad state that we're all in. We are all in bondage. And listen, if you see yourself as a little sinner, then you will see Jesus as a little savior. But if you see yourself the way God sees you as a sinner and in need of redemption, then you will see Jesus as a great Savior. Come on, lift your hands and just praise him right now. Jesus, you're a great Savior. You saved us. You delivered us, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. And so he says in chapters really two and three, a little bit in, yeah, one, two, but Starts in one, the bulk of two, the bulk of three, what we're going to read today. He says that the Jews are under sin, the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, they're under sin. And now I want you to lean in, and I want you to see what God says about you and me. Beginning with the original audience, Romans 3, beginning in verse 9. Here's what Paul says. Before I read this, do y'all believe that the Bible is the Word of God? 
Do y'all, y'all good with that? Okay, just making sure. So he says this, what then? Are we Jews any better off? They have the law, they've broken the law. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and what? Are under what? Are under sin. As it is written, verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become, you say it? What did you learn at church today? I learned that I'm, no, don't, don't, don't do that, because we're not going to stop here. We're going to start here, we're not going to stop here. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Let me tell you about one of my pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is when people say that something is the case in every case when it is only true in some cases. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like when people say, it's this way all the time. When it's not really all, all the time, it's what? Just some of the time. That drives me crazy. I try really hard not to overstate my case to make things uh, seem worse than they are. But I want you to see here, with Paul, inspired by the Spirit, he is not overstating his case. He is precisely and clearly, with the help of God, stating how things actually are because of Adam's sin in us. And so the language is, all are under sin. Everybody say all. None is righteous. No one apart from Jesus. That's the clue here. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. And this language is it's all encompassing. Like there are no exceptions except Jesus, of course. I mean, y'all, this is us. This is us. And he's writing to help his audience see, look, this is who you are by nature. And he's laboring using all these descriptive terms to help them see. And so here's the way I would say it. We, me included, all of us here, apart from Jesus, watch this. We are born in Adam and we are born under the power of sin. We are deeply infected and affected by sin. Check it out. Some blame races and different color faces, but the deeper issue is not the skin, but the sin within. So it's not skin, it's not political parties that we want to blame them, it's not external stuff that we want to blame, it's not primarily our upbringing, it's not primarily the fruit, it's primarily the rotten root. And how many of y'all know, if the root is bad, the fruit will be bad. And if the root is bad and we're in bondage to sin, there's only one who can make the root good again. And if the root is good, come on y'all, the fruit will be good and only God can do that. That's what Paul is trying to show us. And so he labors here with like the, the idea of we're all in the courtroom before God and because of our sin, we're all guilty before God. And you got to get that. 
I mean, you want your praise to go to another level? You want your worship to go to another level? Then let your understanding of how, how awful and depraved you are apart from Jesus go to another level. The lower you understand that, the higher your praise will be when you understand what Jesus has rescued you from. So think about this with me. Sin is not just something we do. As I said earlier, thanks to Adam, we are naughty by nature. We're born in sin and with sin. Maybe you've heard people say, I can't help it. I was born this way. I don't even argue with people when they say that because the truth is we were all born not, not with the possibility of sinning, but the absolute certainty of doing so. Because we're born cute and cuddly into this world. But how, how many of y'all know, you don't, as your kids get older, you don't have to teach them to sin. Like here's a tutorial, Johnny. I'm going to teach you how to deceive. How many of y'all know, it's the most Adamic natural thing in the world for us to sin. Like where does that come from? That doesn't come from the Republicans. That doesn't come from the Democrats. That doesn't itself come from culture. That comes from the sin within that we got from Adam and Eve. Are y'all with me? So what's the real enemy? It's not the people in front of us or behind us. It's the sin within us that has to be attacked at the root. And if we attack it at the root, come on, y'all, then we'll bear good what? Good fruit. But, but no, notice this. We are not all as sinful as we possibly could be. I mean, I could take a survey. Uh, who's the biggest sinner in this room? How many of y'all know that would be awkward if I did that out loud? And uh, we would, you'd probably lose a lot of people, Pastor Don. Or at least the weeks I come, <laughs> you wouldn't be back. I want you to see this. We are sinful, but we're not all as sinful as we possibly could be. There is some restraint there. So throughout history, very few were as bad as Hitler. But throughout history, very few were as good as Mother Teresa. But how many of y'all know even Mother Teresa needed the grace of God and was lost without Jesus? And if that's the case for her, how many of y'all know that's the case for us? So since you're taking notes, you can write this down. We are not equally sinful, but every one of us is fallen and in need of redemption. Because even the good things you do apart from God are stained and tainted with the sinful pride and lust of the flesh. Even the good things. You say, I did that with good intentions. Maybe you think that, but as fallen, as fallen creatures... There's sin within, and it runs through everything we do, even the good things we do. That's what Paul is getting at. So here we are. All of us, apart from Christ, all humanity, Adam's family, we're all fallen. We are all, by birth, members of a very dysfunctional race called the human race. You want to know what's wrong with the world? You want to know what's wrong with your marriage? Well, I don't want to overstate my case, but let me just be as clear as I can. Maybe your marriage, you maybe need some tools. Maybe you need to learn to communicate. Probably. But the core issue is the sin within. Where was Adam when the serpent was talking to Eve? Well, he was close by. 
One person said, Adam was probably in the recliner with the remote watching the LSU game. (laughs) Failing to take responsibility. And we're in this big mess today because of that. Hey, just something real practical. Sometimes people say I'm too deep. Let me give you something real practical. Just about everywhere I go, if I see trash on the ground, I pick it up. You say, Pastor Scott, don't, you sound self-righteous. Y'all, I'm telling you, I pick up trash. I can only get so much mileage out of that. And, and you know why I do? Well, a couple reasons. Because that's what Jesus did for me. <laughs> I take responsibility for something I didn't do because I serve the one who took responsibility for something he didn't do, and his name is Jesus. And he came to pick up your trash. And so here we are in need of redemption, all of us. Let me define redemption, and then we will get ready to get ready to get ready to close. Ligon Duncan defines it this way. Redemption means to secure the release or recovery of persons or things by the payment of a price. Let me break it down. To redeem means to buy back on purpose for a purpose. Does that make sense? So when you hear the word redeem, like, we can get up and go back and forth and, Jesus, you've redeemed us from the curse of the law. And, and most of y'all will go wild because, you know, Jesus has done something big for you, but maybe you don't understand what that means. When we say, Jesus, thank you because you have redeemed us, it means that Jesus has bought us. He has delivered us. He has freed us. He has paid the price for us. Because we are sold as slaves to sin. And because of that, without Jesus, we will suffer the penalty of that sin. And we will forever be under the power of that sin until Jesus sets us free. And Jesus said, he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Come on, how many of y'all are free indeed? Because Jesus has liberated you. You couldn't liberate yourself. He came to set you free. What comes next are two very important words. Romans 3, verse 21, starting there. But now. Everybody say it with me. But, but now. Okay, here's all the bad news. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through, here it is, big word, the what? Redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom, stick with me, big, big words here, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Hang with me. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, might be just, excuse me, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, let me break this down. Paul says, but now, this is who we are, but now, and in our reality, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, which is really good news, because through law-keeping, we're all doomed. 
How many of y'all know checking the box, uh, dotting the I, crossing the, 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 the religious T's, that none of us on our own are able to do enough to be right with God? And some of y'all have tried and you have failed miserably. I'm not saying you don't make an effort to live right and holy. What I'm saying is we should not, we should not try to be right with God by doing a bunch of things for God. So here's the way it works. Some people, they come to church and they think, well, you know, Pascal, that's good, that's good, it's good. But if you just understood what I'm going through, if you just understood the bondage of my sin, I can say, listen, I'm not you, so I can't understand everything. But I, before I got saved, I was in bondage. And I promise you, this man knows what it's like to be a slave to sin. I know what it's like. I don't do this necessarily just to make a living. I do this because it's my passion, because Jesus liberated me and set me free, and I want the world to know that he can do it for them too. And so the gospel and the good news is not you come to church and hear a good word, but then go, oh, I got to go back to my life, get cleaned up, start doing things right, then come back and Jesus will accept me. That's not the gospel. You come to the cross just as you are with the junk in your trunk, with all of your dysfunction, owning it all, throwing it at the cross, and there you find redemption and there you find forgiveness. That's what I did in August of 2000, and Jesus saved a wretch like me. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It's not through law keeping. Redemption is not through the law. Redemption is through God's covenant faithfulness through Jesus, his son. And this is good for us because we've all sinned and fallen short of the mark. We can't do it on our own. So the righteousness of God is good news for us who understand what sin is and how it's affected our relationship with God. This word sin in the Greek, it's hamartia. And let me give you a, a, a it's called bedag. It's a theological, it's a, um, a Greek lexicon, a Greek uh, dictionary. It defines it this way. Sin is a departure, everybody say departure, from a divine standard of uprightness. The essence of sin is missing the mark. First John says that sin is lawlessness. It's missing the mark of God's righteous standard. And so this is us. We all fall short. Notice this. Write this down. We all fall short of God's perfect standard by nature and by choice. By who we are, like, in a sense, I mean, it's in us. Like, sin runs through our veins. I'm not saying that's like all we do, but it's a part of who we are. We are by nature sinners. So we sin because of nature and, and because we just choose to. Let's be honest. Wet paint, don't touch. How many of y'all are going to touch it every time? Y'all are awesome. Track with me. Because of sin, we fall short of the glory of God, which means this. We lack God's glory. We lack it because we fall short of his standard. Just like Adam. You think Adam and Eve knew the glory of God and beheld the glory of God in the garden? Yeah. But after they sinned, you read the story in Genesis 3, God 
expelled them from his presence, from the garden, and from all the benefits that they initially received there. Because of our sin, we are born apart from the presence of God. Because of our sin, we are driven away from the presence of God and from his purposes and from his promises. And because of our sin, because we missed the mark, we cannot enjoy his presence. As a matter of fact, before God works supernaturally in our hearts, we don't want his presence. We don't want his glory. We live for self-glory. Isn't it true of all of us in different ways? My son, my, my oldest, when he, was, when he was very young, we took him to, to an amusement park, and there was a big ride he wanted to get on. And um, there, there was the, this height requirement. So to get on the ride, you know, you had to be so tall. You know what I'm talking about with your kids? And my son, he, he wanted to get on that ride and participate so badly. And he got up under the, the line, and he stood up, pushed his hair straight, and tried, tried to get as, as, as straight as he could to get that hair, something, one hair over the line. But for the life of him, no matter how, how much he stood up straight, he fell short. Listen to me. No matter how much you stand up straight on your own, in your own striving and in your own effort, because we're born in Adam, we all come short of the glory of God. We are all driven away from the presence of God. We are unfaithful, so God had to show his faithfulness at the right time when we were still sinners. Jesus came, shed his blood for us, so we can re-enter and participate in the glory of God. Does that make sense? And I want you to see this. Christianity is not merely about you going to heaven when you die. It's about heaven coming to the earth as you live. To participate in the presence of God. To believe in the promises of God. To walk in the purposes of God now. All these people want to get raptured and get out of here. Listen, nothing would make me happier than to preach this message, go home and take a nap and wake up in heaven. Or just, woo, wake up and I'm being raptured. Nothing would make me happier. Come on, if we knew that the rapture was going to happen in a couple weeks, come on, we could run up our charge cars so no one's, we don't have to worry about paying them off. <laughs> but y'all, I'm fired up today because I know I'm going to heaven. And because I know that that day is fixed, thank you, Luther, for me and for you. Now from, from today, every day, I want to enjoy the presence of God. I want to walk in the power of God. I want to walk in the purposes of God and see heaven come to this earth. Come on, to New Iberia, to Midtown, to Broussard, to Lafayette, to Opelousas, and beyond. Somebody give him some praise because you are walking in it right now. I'm getting ready to close here. No keys just yet. You know the cue. When I tell people at Midtown, my people there, I say, I'm getting ready to close. You know what that means there? Nothing. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. The, the good news for, for all is that, well, we're, we're justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we are sold as slaves to sin because of the first Adam. Thanks, Adam. We're all in deep trouble today. 
But Paul said there's a second Adam, and his name is Jesus. And he came to liberate us, to pay the price, the redemption price, for our sin with his very own blood. We are justified if you're in Christ today. That means you are justified. It means that God has declared you to be righteous, even though by nature you're not righteous. He declares you to be free and acquitted. He declares that you are right in his sight. And isn't that a huge truth? That the God of all creation, because of the death of his son, says that we who are by nature sinners are now right in his sight. So therefore, what shall we say about all this? If God be for you, who in the world can be against you? If the judge of the universe is for you, let me help you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? At least a charge that'll stick. Your ex-husband? Mm-mm. Your ex-wife? Mm-mm. Somebody on social media? Nope. This happened because, as the New Revised Standard Version phrases this, verse 25, that God put forward Jesus, everybody say Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood. So this means that Jesus' blood provides cleansing for all of our sin. This means that Jesus, as a sacrifice, was punished in our place. You should have suffered there. You should have been punished. I should have been punished. He was punished in your place so that now we can reenter the presence of God and enjoy communion with God. Though our sins are many, though our sins are great, behold, Jesus, through his blood, makes you and me white as snow. And he covers us through and through, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you said, I'll never do that again, and you did it again. If you come back to Jesus in repentance, true repentance, and you say, I'm going to turn Jesus this time, I'm turning, I'm trusting you, Jesus will forgive you, he will set you free, and he will change your life, and he will not only remove your sin, but he'll give you a purpose that you could never come up with on your own. But how many of y'all know God's ways are higher than our ways? His plans are bigger than ours, and he not only saves you from sin, he saves you for his presence and his promises. The problem is this, that God is just. Say, how's that a problem? Because God's a just judge. He doesn't look out at us and be like, hey, I love y'all. You know, I know you've trampled my glory, blasphemed my name, ignored me, preferred LSU over my glory. Really? And because I'm loving, you know, I love y'all. Just go, it's good. It's all good. It's not all good. Because for God to be a just judge, he must pass a just verdict and he must carry out a just sentence against the crime. Are y'all with me? That's the problem, at least potentially. The solution is that God's not just a just God. He is forever that. 
but he also delights to show mercy as a judge. But someone had to pay the price. Someone had to pay the penalty. And aren't you glad that Jesus came from heaven to the earth to die in your place, to suffer your punishment, to cleanse you with his blood so that today you cannot just be free, but free indeed. And so at the cross, God punished Jesus. Jesus was punished. He took your punishment there. Watch this. Justice was carried out so that God can be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in him. So his justice is upheld and mercy is shown. And when we get this, we lift up both hands because we realize just how good he is. Both hands. What do you do with your hands? You lift both hands for your justice and your grace, for your justice and your mercy, God. Is the old song worded, uh, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Boy, isn't that good. So here's the courtroom verdict. I want you to see this. See this about yourself and one another. That for those who are in Christ, courtroom verdict, we are free and forgiven and righteous in his sight. You say, I don't feel that way. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't matter what I feel. Feelings are fleeting. Your feelings are important, but they are not ultimate. And you've got to get that straight. His ways, thank you for that passage. Isaiah 55, his ways are higher. God's ways don't change because God gets hungry. His emotions aren't up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all get, when you get hungry, you get grumpy? Okay, yeah. He's steady. He's the same. His promises are sure. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you believe in him, trust in him, and show allegiance to him by following him, you live under the fountain of his blood and his grace and his mercy. It just covers you all the days of your life. The mercy of God follows you all the days of your life. And so no matter where you go, even if you can't lift up holy hands, in your heart you're a person of gratitude because you've been freed by the blood of the Lamb. It's how we live, it's how we think, it's how we breathe. It's, it's, we go to bed with it, we wake up in it. And so here we are, the redeemed people of God. And you thought Christianity was just about saying a prayer to go to heaven. Thank God we go to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Can't wait. But how about now? Oftentimes people, you know, preachers, I've done it. Close your eyes right now. Don't, don't. But we'll say, close your eyes right now. If you were to die right now, where would you go? That's a great question. Let me ask you a more relevant question. Close your eyes. What happens if you live another 40 years or another 60 years? What are you going to do with your life in bondage to sin and the guilt and the shame that you carry because of it? What are you going to do? We are redeemed. We are saved from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin. We are saved from sin for God. 
Now let me conclude with this, Romans 6, 1 and 2. Paul says, after going through chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and then into 6, beginning here, and I'm, I'm done after this. He says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, with all this grace talk, Pastor God, I mean, come on, go live it up. I mean, I'm forgiven. The fountain is open. The blood is poured out. I'm good, right? Well, yes and no. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Verse 2, what's it say? Say it louder. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In verse 2, by no means. Underneath by no means in the Greek text are the words me genoita. Can y'all say that with me? Me genoita. Say it one more time. Me genoita. You learned some Greek today. It's the strongest way in the Greek language to say, no way. You have your way of saying that. I won't, we can't repeat that in church. No way. I think it's the King James Version that says, may God forbid. Now, God's not in the Greek text, but the concept is there. Shall we continue to do this so grace can increase? Paul uses the strong language to say, no way. Don't, don't, don't do that. And there are people who want to do that. Paul uses this language to say, by no means. Because, listen, when we get saved, this is so good. We are no longer in Adam or under Adam. We're no longer in that family. We're no longer in sin or under the power of sin. We are now in a new family and there's a new power at work in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. But some of us are still bound up in sin because we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We are not sinners any longer by nature. We are now spiritually reborn to be the saints of the living God who are not perfect, but are nonetheless being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So Adam ruined it. Ruin came through Adam. Adam deformed it. Jesus came to transform it. And come on, y'all, we are the transformed people of the living God. No longer in Adam. Stop living like Adam. You're not in Adam any longer. I'm in Adam's, but I'm no longer in Adam any longer. Wives and your husbands aren't acting crazy. Say, what are you doing, Adam? Say, I don't know, Eve. We're no longer in Adam. The curse has been broken. You're set free, baby, to live the life Jesus died to provide. Y'all don't believe none of this. You believe it? You believe it? So we are saved from the penalty and the power of sin. But we are also saved for the presence and the purposes of God. And so today we learned that the first Adam ruined it. But Jesus, the second Adam, came to redeem it. So good. 
John Newton. Some of you know his name because he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Y'all know the song? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was. But now I. He was a slave trader. He got radically born again. And I think he was in his 80s when he said this. He was older in life. He said this. He said, although my memory is fading, he said, there are two things that I remember very clearly. Number one, I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. And I'm not that old. Sometimes I forget things, but I will never, ever, ever, ever forget the brokenness of my life and the bondage of my life. And I will never forget, I will never forget about the great God who sent his great son to redeem me from it all, to set me free from it all. Because I was once very lost. Romans 3 was my life. And then God placed me around some people who believe the gospel and preach the gospel and live the gospel. And by his amazing grace, though I was lost, I became found. I was so blind, but then I could begin to see. I saw myself as God saw me. I saw my sin, and I saw the grace of the cross. And I've been living for him now. 22 years. Let me tell you something. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel the Holy Spirit's presence here. Hallelujah, God. We worship you. Come on, let's lift our hands. We worship you, God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who was and is and is to come. Come on, let's lift our hands and worship. God, we praise you. I praise you now because you're setting people free. You're setting people free right now. You're setting hearts free. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I see depression lifting joy, joylessness lifting. I see the light shining in dark hearts, in dark places. I see the light, the glory of your cross and the good news of it shining into that hidden place of pornography, into that deep chasm of depression. Jesus, by your spirit, move, awaken Awaken the dead. Give hope to everyone who needs it today. To everyone who sees their sin. Help them see you, Jesus, the great Savior. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says that It all really begins in the heart. He says, because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, it starts in your heart, but you you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He says in verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so if you're here today and you came in, you came in broken, you came in fallen, you came in that way and now you see it. And you want to be rescued from it. This is your moment right now. This is your moment. You're here and you say, Pastor Scott, I want to be redeemed. I want to be set free. And I want to live for God the rest of my life with his power and with his strength. If that's you, you're here today, you want to be saved for that relationship with God. Here at the bottom, up in the balconies. It doesn't matter how awful you've been. It doesn't matter what you've thought, what you've done. There is forgiveness in this place because God is here right now. And so on the count of three, if you're here and you say, Pastor Scott, I want to re-enter the presence of God. What was lost in Adam, I want to find now in Jesus. I want that now. I want my sins forgiven. I want my shame and my guilt removed. And I want to walk in everything you've preached this morning. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. On the count of three, one, two, three. Let me see your hand. If that's you, you say, I want that. I want God today. I want God today. I want a new start today. Thank you in the balcony. I see you. Thank you. If there's anybody else here today, you say, I need a new start today. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Say, I need it. I need it today. I need, I need a transference from Adam to Jesus. If that's you today, just slip up your hand. Thank you. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. This prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But what I'm going to ask you to say with me, this is a verbal confession of what I believe is really going on in your heart. And this is, a, this is a confession for you to cry out to God. Paul says that the righteous will live by faith. This is your moment to activate faith and to trust Jesus that he alone can save you and set you free. So come on, come on, New Iberia. Let's all say this together with those that have their hands lifted. Say this, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for me say this with me I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father say this with me today Lord Jesus I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart no matter what it costs me and I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and thank God, heaven is now my home. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen.